Well, please uh, turn in your Bibles with me here now to Luke chapter 14. As we continue making our way through the gospel of Luke, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 24 this morning. As we continue looking at Jesus here at a dinner, Jesus in this uh, dinner that has started off on an awkward note and continues at a very, uh, on a very awkward note. So uh, please stand with me, if you will, as we read together from uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Uh, so Jesus has just, just finished these words to the host, and then verse 15 says, When one of the, uh, those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You may be seated, may our hearts be encouraged and strengthened through God's word this morning. Let's pray. And Father, again, we turn to you asking for your blessing in our church. We pray for your blessing in our church as we turn to your word. We pray that these words would be words that are convicting, challenging. Give me clarity as I speak your words. We pray that our lives would be transformed by the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. In 1989, uh, Donald Shear was at a flea market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. And while he was kind of rummaging through the things of this flea market, he came across an old painting. And he looked at the painting, and it wasn't really his taste. It was, it was kind of old and torn as a country scene. And he didn't really like the painting that much. But as he looked at it, he realized he really liked the picture frame. And so he spent $4 and took this picture and its frame back home, and, and then he began to try to separate the picture, the painting, from the frame. And as he did so, the frame fell apart in his hands, and he realized, I've just wasted $4. And then he noticed something. Maybe you've heard this story before, but in between the painting and the wooden back of the frame was a document. And as he looked at this document, he got a little bit excited and he took it to someone to have it appraised and authenticated. And it turned out that this document that was in between the, the painting and the frame was one of the original copies of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> it, it received over $2 million at an auction pretty good return on a $4 investment, right? Well, not so fortunate was Stan Caffey. Stan Caffey was at a garage sale, and he found an old copy of the Declaration of Independence, and he purchased this 
copy of the Declaration of Independence, and he took it and hung it on a wall in his garage. (laughs) And it sat there for many years, this old copy of the Declaration in his garage, until he got married. And then his wife encouraged him to get rid of the things that were in the garage, and so he got rid of the things that were in the garage, including this copy of the Declaration of Independence. He took it to the Music City thrift store, where it was sold for $2.48. It turned out to be one of the copies of the Declaration of Independence commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820, and it was worth over $400,000, and he got rid of it. He said he wasn't bitter much, but you wonder, right? How important is it for us to understand the value, the value of the things that, that are in our lives, to rightly be able to look at the things in our lives and say, okay, this is the value that this has, and, and this is the value that this has, and to understand and to be able to rightly appraise the value of the things that are in our lives. What we're going to see this morning as we look at Jesus' words, we're going to see a group of people who were sadly mistaken about the value of an invitation that they had been given. These people were woefully ignorant of the surpassing value of an invitation that had been given to them, and because of their folly, they were unable to accept an invitation that had a measurable value. And Jesus' point is going to be that some people fail to understand the immeasurable value of him and the invitation that he's offering, and because of their failure to rightly understand his value, they make very foolish, tragic decisions. The thing I'm going to encourage all of us to do this week as we look at these words of Jesus is to ask ourselves whether or not we have rightly appraised the value of Jesus Christ. And kind of the central idea that I want you to grasp as we look at these verses is that the one who rightly values Jesus Christ accepts his invitation. The person who rightly understands the immeasurable value of the person of Jesus Christ accepts the invitation that he freely offers to them. The fool doesn't understand the value of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to look at the lifestyle of a person who rightly understands the value of Jesus Christ and decides to follow him into discipleship. We're going to look at what that person's lifestyle looks like. But this week, I want us to to focus on the idea of value and understand that the person who rightly values Jesus Christ accepts his invitation. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time talking about this, this parable, and then in a little while, we're going to look at three principles for applications. But let's first look just a little while here longer at the parable of the great banquet. We're in verse 15, and remember what's happened in verses 1 through 14. Jesus has been invited to this dinner, and it hasn't gone that well, I'm sure, from many people's perspective. He comes in, and the first thing that he does at this dinner is break the law. He violates the Pharisees' understanding of the Sabbath law. First thing he comes in is he he violates the Sabbath in their minds. The second thing that he does is he insults all the guests. He comes in, sits down, and tells a parable that insults all the guests that are seated at the table. Then the host is kind of watching this, and then Jesus turns on the host, and he insults the host. So, you know, it's like not even dessert yet, and uh, Jesus has insulted all the guests, the hosts, and broken the Sabbath. And then comes verse 15. (laughs) 
And here, remember we talked about how Jesus would have been sitting at kind of a horseshoe-shaped table, kind of low to the ground. And there would have been kind of a people that were sitting in sections of three on these little couches. And so Jesus is sitting down, and he's uh, just said this parable to all the guests. And then he's turned to the host, and he's told the host about what he should do rightly. And of course, Jesus can say this because he has the authority of as God to understand people's hearts and rightly speak to them in love. So he's just said all these things that they're, are, are very tense, you know, kind of, kind of some bold words to say to people, and the tension's kind of thick in the air. What do you say when a person has, has just uh, kind of accused the host of, of status-seeking and trying to have this party in order to be repaid? Verse 14, he says, uh, do instead invite, he just said, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you'll be blessed, then you'll be happy because they cannot repay you, for then you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He's just said that. It's like crickets. And the guy next to him, he wants to kind of soothe things over. And so he goes, um, look at verse 15, the guy sitting next to him, um, you know what? Blessed is everyone. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? Who's with me? We're all excited about the kingdom of God, Jesus, right? Who wants to eat in the kingdom of God? We all do. Now pass the potatoes, right? Huh? Let's get this meal going. Now, it's a seemingly innocent statement. I mean, who doesn't want to be blessed and participate in the future kingdom of God. Everybody does. In fact, there are lots of Bible verses that, that he could have pointed to that talk about this future meal that everyone's going to participate in. Isaiah 25, 6 says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Jesus has even talked about this future feast. Matthew 8, chapter 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So this idea of a future feast in which people participate in is a, is a biblical idea. But let me tell you, this guy that's sitting next to Jesus and says these words is saying something that is wrong to say. It's something very foolish. This seemingly innocent statement is wrong for three reasons. One reason that what he said is, is so wrong is because what he's trying to do is blunt the impact of what Jesus has just said. Jesus has just said some very hard, pointed words to the people at that table so that they understand the danger that they're in. They need to understand that they haven't rightly understood the kingdom of God and their status-seeking ways are causing them to not receive the grace of God. That was Jesus' point behind these hard, blunt words. And this guy, you know, a member of the get-along gang, uh, wants to, to minimize the brunt of that statement. Jesus has just said, you guys are all in a bunch of trouble because you're not rightly understanding status in God's kingdom and, and God's ethical system and how a person who's part of God's kingdom rightly acts, and you're in danger of not participating in this, this coming resurrection, the end kingdom of God. And this guy says, yeah, we all like the kingdom of God. It's a foolish statement because, one, it, it blunts the impact of what Jesus is trying to say. Secondly, 
it's wrong because it contradicts what Jesus has said about participation in the kingdom. Jesus has, has talked about the requirements for a person who's going to be a part of God's kingdom, and this guy who's sitting next to Jesus is essentially saying, yeah, you know what, that's great that there's requirements to enter the kingdom, and isn't it wonderful that we're all going to be in there? And Jesus' point has been just the opposite. It's also wrong. It's also, also a foolish statement to make because this guy is saying, yeah, I'm excited about this day in the future, a long time from now, that we're all going to sit at the kingdom and, and eat this bread. And Jesus' point in his ministry has been to call people to understand the immediacy of the kingdom, that the kingdom isn't something that you eventually begin to live in light of, that the kingdom is something that you begin to live for right now, in, in the here and now, in the present. So Jesus wants these people at the table to understand the danger that they're in. And this man, by his comment, has tried to blunt the force of Jesus' warning. Jesus has just warned them, You're, you might not be part of the kingdom, and this guy said, isn't it great that we're all going to be part of the kingdom? Blessed, happy is everybody who's part of it. And that's the setting for the parable that Jesus then tells. That's the context for what he's about to say. Look at what he goes on and he tells this story in response to the foolish statement, this irrelevant, intellectually vapid statement that this person has just made. In fact, the statement that this person has just made is, is so, uh, so incompatible with what Jesus has, has said. It's like he, he said something, yeah, we all agree with that, and really he said the exact opposite of what Jesus has said, and he's not aware of the, the intellectual inconsistency of what he's just said. There's a, a, a great story that I'm sure many of you have read before uh, the, in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's this great scene, I think I've mentioned it before, but there's this great scene in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader where uh, Lucy, a little girl in the story, has encountered these creatures called the monopods. The, the monopods are these creatures that kind of are a little like little dwarves that hop around on one big foot, okay? And they've been changed that way by a magician. And, and listen to what the, the, the head of the monopods says and, and the response of these other monopods and what they say and then what Lucy says. Listen to this, it says, the, the chief monopods the chief monopod, the leader of this group, says, we're extremely regrettable that we can't give you the pleasure of seeing us as we were before we were uglified, for you wouldn't believe the difference. And that's the truth, for there's no denying we're mortal ugly now, so we won't deceive you. Eh, that we are, chief, that we are, echoed the others, bouncing like so many toy balloons. You've said it, you've said it. But I don't think you are at all, said Lucy, shouting to make herself heard. I think you look very nice. Here, here, said the other monopods. True for you, Missy, true for you. Very nice we look. You couldn't find a handsomer lot. They said this without any surprise and did not seem to notice that they had just changed their minds. She's a saying, remarked the chief monopod, as how we looked very nice before we were uglified. True for you, chief, true for you, chanted the others. That's what she says, we heard her ourselves. I did not, bawled Lucy. I, I said, you're very nice now. So she did, so she did, said the chief monopod, said we were very nice then. Hear them both, hear them both, said the monopod. That's a pair for you, always right, both of them. 
Couldn't have put it better. But we're saying just the opposite, said Lucy, stamping her foot with impatience. So you are, to be sure, said the monopods. Nothing like an opposite. Keep it up, both of you. You're enough to drive anyone mad, said Lucy, and gave it up. (laughs) That's so true of our culture today, right? One person says one thing, another person says something completely different, and the desire is to kind of get them to say the same thing. We're not really disagreeing. Jesus understands the incredible spiritual danger that these people are in if they don't understand the warning that he's given them. And so he tells this parable. And the parable begins in verse 15. Jesus, he's sitting there on the, kind of reclining on this little couch, and he, and he says to the guys that are there, he goes, you know, a, a man once gave a great banquet. And he invited many people, and in this culture, what would happen is this. Whenever a great banquet was going to be given, the the master that was giving the banquet would send out his servant, and the servant would go to all the people who were invited to the banquet, and he'd say, you're invited to this banquet, it's going to be in the future, would you like to participate in it? And without exception almost, a person would say, yes, of course I want to be a part of this banquet. And he'd go to the next person, do you want to be... My master's giving this banquet. It's going to be in the future. He wouldn't be able to give them an exact time, but he'd kind of tell them the general time frame in which this banquet would be held, and the person would accept. Yes, of course. And so this servant goes out, Jesus says, and he invited many. And the people that he invited would have given their kind of an RSVP, if you will. Yes, I'm coming to this banquet. A person would be a fool not to come to a banquet like this. It would have been a sign of status. It would have been an opportunity to eat. You know, this is a culture in which it was tough to gain food sometimes. And so to have your food provided for you in this great feast and to have this time of celebration, it would have been the social event of the season. And everyone who was anyone would be there. And everyone who was everyone would want to be there. So what happens next? Verse 17, the servant goes back, he gets everything ready, and then at some point in the future, the feast is prepared. It's eating time. And so he goes back, and in this culture, there would have been two invitations, and here's the second invitation. He goes to people, and he says, it's ready. It's time. Let's go. And then Jesus says, beginning in verse 18, the unthinkable happens. Verse 18, they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Now, as Jesus said these words, the Pharisees at the table would have been thinking, what? Who would ever refuse the opportunity to be a part of this feast for a field inspection? I mean, this would have been a guy who'd already purchased this field. He would have seen what it looks like. The field's not going anywhere. Why wouldn't he go to this feast? It was, it was beyond comprehension. It would have been like receiving a Super Bowl tickets. And then the day of the Super Bowl comes, you're like, you know what? I, I've, just, uh, I've, I've just bought some new shoes, and I think I'm going to try them on. Can't go. Another person says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, so I'm going I'm to try them out. A third person says, well, I've just gotten married, and, and so I'm not going. doesn't even say, please excuse me. And, and, and a person, it wasn't like 
he was getting ready to, to go to the wedding, and so he, he, hey, I've got this wedding thing i got to go to, so I probably should go to that. No, it was like he'd gotten married recently. The, his feast was already, like that time of celebration was over. It was totally permissible for him to come, but he just decides, and here's the key. He decides, and the other two people decide, all the people decide, this is the key. The feast isn't that important. The feast isn't that valuable. You see that? They originally had understood the value of the feast and said, yeah, of course I would like to participate in it, but when the time comes, they realize, eh, I'd rather not go. There are material possessions and relationships that are more significant for me and more valuable for me than participation in that feast. You see that? Material possessions and earthly relationships are more important to me than participating in that feast. And the Pharisees that are sitting at the table with Jesus would have found that incomprehensible. It gets more strange. Jesus says the next thing that happens is this. The master decides to invite the people who are outside his social sphere to participate in this kingdom. They were not those who had received the invitation, but he says, go to the streets, go to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And so it's still people that are part of his community, but these are people who would never have received an invitation like this. He says, go to them and invite them. And the, and the servant says this, yeah, I've done that. They're in there. Some of them have responded, but there's still room. The Pharisees are the tailor. What? What is this guy thinking? And then comes the most shocking part of all. The master says, well, here's what I want you to do now. Look at the text with me. He says in verse 23, the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. In other words, go beyond our social, social setting, go beyond our immediate area, and go out to those people who are not even part of our community, the, the people who are the lowliest of the low, and, and bring them in. Do you see his message to the Pharisees? Yeah, you guys were part of those who received the initial invitation to participate in God's kingdom. And initially he said, yeah, of course I want to be a part of that. Of course that's a valuable thing to be a part of. And now it's here. Now I'm here and you don't see my value. You're rejecting me. Material possessions, relationships are more important to you than me. And you don't see the value of me, the surpassing greatness of me and my value, and you're rejecting the invitation. A person who rejected the invitation was a fool. They were a fool, and to reject this invitation was an insult to the person who was holding the feast. In fact, some writers kind of in that contemporary culture say that to refuse an invitation like this was a declaration of war. A complete rejection of relationship with that person. That's what the people are doing in the parable. And Jesus' point is, that's what you're doing with me. There's a wideness to God's love as he reaches out to Gentiles. 
there's an offering of relationship to people that would have never been considered a part of the people of God. In Isaiah 60, verse 1, the prophet Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations, plural, nations shall, shall come to your light. The nations will see the light of the Lord and respond to it, and kings to the brightness of your rising. There was an, always an expectation in God's word that his kingdom would extend beyond the immediacy of the Jewish nation. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 8, as Solomon is, is dedicating the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41, Solomon's praying. And he says this, he says, Likewise, when a foreigner who's not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And Solomon looks forward to this time in which all the people of the world will be able to see the glory of God. And Jesus says, look, what's going to happen is you've rejected the invitation that God has given you. You haven't seen my, my value, the immeasurable value of responding to my kingdom pro proclamation ministry. You've rejected me. The lowly are in the process of responding, but not responding at the, the rate that they need to. And God's grace and his mercy are going to be extended beyond the people who received the initial invitation. The last words of the parable are very interesting. It seems like it's kind of the master still speaking, but it's also Jesus speaking to the people at the table. The, the you here is, is pl a plural you, you all, you guys, y'all. little Texan for you. He says, I tell you all, verse 24, Luke 14, 24, for I tell you all, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Guy next to Jesus has said, Good words, Jesus. Good words. We all agree. The kingdom's going to be super duper. Let's eat. Let's stop this little tension stuff. Jesus said, No, no, no. Hold on. Here's a little story. You guys are in big trouble, and the grace of God is going to be extended to the Gentiles because you don't understand the value of the person who's right now inviting you to participate in God's kingdom. You don't get it. And none of you guys are going to be able to taste of the banquet. Yeah, sure, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. It's not going to be you unless you repent, unless you turn and place your faith in me. Let me give you three principles of application here as we think about this parable and Jesus' words to these guys at this banquet, at this dinner. Application number one for us, don't say silly things that are pleasant but untrue. That's what we see this guy doing. 
don't say pleasant things that kind of sound nice but, but, but aren't true. Remember, there's three terrible things about his statement. His, his statement, that this member of the get-along gang, uh, first of all, he's trying to deflect Jesus' point that people need to hear. He, he's contradicted Jesus' teaching regarding who's in and who's out, and he's contradicted Jesus' teaching regarding the, the need to immediately respond. And so this, this member of the, the get-along gang is saying some things that are, that are nice, they sound pleasant, it, it's kind of a desire to, to make everybody say the same thing. Here's how I'm going to interpret what you're saying and what we're, we're saying, we all say the same thing. It's, an, it's a nice attempt, but it's untrue, and it's damaging to the souls of the people that Jesus is trying to caution, trying to to warn. It's hard to be a minority voice in a culture, isn't it? It's hard to say things that are, that are contrary to what people desire to hear. In Jeremiah chapter 20, you, you know, anytime you think that your ministry is tough in the culture that God's placed you, read Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah had an incredibly tough ministry, and he was called to, to constantly proclaim God's destruction and coming judgment on a people that, that had no desire to hear it. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 20, sometimes uh, he describes his feelings sometimes of, of being deceived by God. He says um, in verse 7 of Jeremiah 20, he says, Oh Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. You're stronger than I, and you've prevailed. I've become a laughing stock all the day. People hear what I'm saying, and they're just laughing at me. I'm, I'm this source of ridicule for everyone. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout, violence and destruction. In other words, God, I, I, I know your word. You've told me what to proclaim. And so I go to my culture, and I proclaim these words. I, and I, I talk about how God isn't pleased with how they're living, and your coming judgment and destruction. And I look like a fool. I'm, I'm crying out these things. And then he says this. In verse 8, or, let me read. Yeah, he says, uh, For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. Then verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. If I say, I sound so foolish, I sound so stupid when I say these things, like there's this fire within me and I have to speak you've called me to do this it's hard to be a minority voice in a culture that is rejecting the things of God and our temptation as, as we say some things based upon now by the way uh, when you go to a dinner party and you're with unbelievers don't be like, you know what? It's insult time. You, da-da-da-da-da-da. And let me tell you a story about how terrible all of you are. That's not the right response to this, right? Jesus has an advantage that you and I don't have. He's able to see into people's hearts. He's able to understand exactly their spiritual condition. But the application for us is we need to speak God's words. And as we see people that are living contrary to God's words and saying things that are contrary to God's word, to, to be a voice of truth. Now, again, it's harder and harder in a culture in which you're the minority voice to, to speak boldly and clearly. There's an experiment done on people, I, I believe it was uh, several decades ago, where they, they took seven people into a room, and they did this several times. They would take seven people into a room, and they would show them two cards. 
on the first card would be a, a line, and then on the second card would be three lines, and the lines would be labeled A, B, or C, and the, the people were supposed to say, which of these lines, A, B, or C, is the same length as this line? And it would have been very obvious, very easy to see. Now, what one person in that group of seven didn't know is that the other six were in on the experiment. And they were going to purposely answer the wrong way on cards very often. In fact, uh, there'd be 18 of these little cards, 18 little series that they do, and on 12 of them, they were all going to respond the wrong way. And the seventh person would be the last or next to last to answer. You know what they found? 75% of the people would answer wrongly if everyone else was answering wrongly. When everyone else answered rightly, it was like 100% would answer rightly. But just being that lone contrary voice in a, in a room of seven people was, was too much for some people to take. But they found this. When one other person in the room would join with them, and say the right answer, even if person one, two, and, and four and five and six said the wrong thing, but person number three said the right thing, that gave person number seven the confidence to say the right thing as well. Don't say silly things that are pleasant but untrue just for the sake of getting along. Love your culture love your God, and do the things that God has called you to do as you love the people around you, as you talk about the dangers of materialism, as you talk about the authority of God's word, as you talk about the damage that's reached, in a, that, that's the damage that's caused in a hedonistic sexual culture. Proclaim those things lovingly, boldly, humility, with, with humility. Second application I think that we see here in, in these, these, uh, these words of Jesus in this parable is, is this. Uh, realize that to desire the world is folly. To desire the world is folly, and to love the world is to reject God. Realize that to love the world is ultimately to reject God. Jeremiah chapter 2, Jeremiah is, says this, or the Lord says this through the prophet Jeremiah. He says that his people have committed a, a great sin. And in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, he says, my, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and, and dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, what my people have done is they've decided that they, they love this world, that God says here. And what they've done is, is they've had the opportunity to desire me, to accept my invitation to them, and they've refused that. And instead, instead of taking the, the living waters, drinking from the living spring, me, this, this source of delight and satisfaction, what they've done instead is they've dug for themselves a cistern. You know what a cistern was? A cistern was like this, this uh, kind of basin that a person would dig in the desert. And they would direct rainwater to kind of collect in this basin. They'd kind of cake it with something that would keep it from, from the, the water from just, just uh, going out the bottom. It like caked it with limestone or something. And uh, he's saying they've had this opportunity to drink from me, the living water, the living spring. And instead, they've decided to dig for themselves a cistern. And not just a cistern. You know, that's kind of gross. 
old rainwater, but it's a broken cistern. It's cracked. And all that's left in it is what? Like the sludge and stuff that would have been the bottom of a cistern. And a person has come up and had the opportunity to go, hmm, broken cistern, living water. I'm going to go with the sludge, right? It's, it's evil, it's, it's wrong, it's wicked. Here's what you need to understand. To love the world and to love the things that are in this world is to reject God. It's, to in, it's an insult to God and, and, and it's folly. The people in the parable have the opportunity to go to this great banquet to, to experience God's salvation and, and to experience the, the joy of participating in, in fellowship with God and, and to receive his, his salvation and joy. And, and instead, what they decide to do is forgo that feast and go look at a field. To love the world is to reject God. I was reading an article this, this past week and the person was, was, it was a financial uh, article, and it was talking about when is the, the latest bull market going to end. You know? and, I, and I thought about this as I was reading that, that article, and I thought, you know what, no matter what, no matter what, you can always say when you're in a bull market that someday it's going to end. When you're in a bear market, you can't always say that because there's a very real possibility that it, it won't end. Here's what I mean. No matter what the value of your portfolio is right now, no matter how much that uh, Caterpillar stock or that uh, Apple stock is worth today, I guarantee you that at some point in the future, it's going to be worth zero. I guarantee you that. I, as your personal financial advisor, I guarantee you that your stock portfolio is someday going to be worth exactly zero dollars and zero cents. And yet, what do so many of us do? We cling to it. We love it. We pursue it. We hold on to it. To do that is to reject God. Jesus saying these words to the Pharisees because the Pharisees have said, oh yes, we look forward to the kingdom. Yes, we look forward to the kingdom. In reality, they don't. The kingdom is there and they're in the process of rejecting it. Desire is a funny thing. What we desire and say we desire is, is very funny. Psychologists have this thing called time inconsistent preferences. And what that means basically is this. Um, if you ask me today, what's your next week going to be like uh, health-wise? How are you going to eat? I, oh, I'm going to eat so healthy next week. I'm going to eat some bananas every day for lunch. And, and uh, I'm going to eat like grain and grass. I mean, I'm just going to eat so healthy. You know. Salad, salad. Um, and then you say, well, how about, how about a candy bar? Sounds great. In the future, I'm going to be great, but right now, give me the candy bar. It's, it's inconsistent, right? It's desire. And what we choose right now shows what we truly desire and what we're truly committed to. Same is true in God's kingdom. You can say, oh yeah, and someday I'm going to really love Jesus and live for him. Right now, how you live determines who you value. And the person who truly values Jesus accepts his gracious invitation to the banquet, to the feast. Third, third point here, 
Third application for us as we think about this, and I'm just going to say this, and we're going to really deal with it a lot next week. Uh, Desire God and accept his gracious invitation. Desire God and accept his gracious invitation to you. God has graciously provided you the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ sits with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees don't recognize him. They don't receive him. They don't value him. My encouragement to you today is recognize that you know who you are in the parable? You're not the guy who who just got married. You're not the guy who got a nice field, I hope. You're not the guy who was was, uh, the lame or the crippled or the the blind in the, the, the second group. You know who you are? You're the person that was out on the highway. And these would have been people like that were beyond the, the low of the low. They're people that were sometimes like the prostitutes or the highway robbers. They were not people who were welcomed in polite society. That's you and that's me. And God has graciously offered you the opportunity to attend his banquet, to, be, to, to fellowship with him, to be in relationship with him. And imagine the people in Jesus' parable who understood their desperate need. They're on the, some of them are on the verge of starvation, who have no hope of being invited into a polite society and enjoying the benefits of a feast and, and relationship and fellowship. And then comes this invitation. That's the invitation that's been extended to you and to me. Apart from God's grace, we have no hope of being part of polite society, polite heavenly society. But God in his graciousness sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to bear the penalty for our sins. And so and he rose from the dead. And by placing our faith and our trust in him alone, we can receive the invitation to the banquet and participate for eternity in our relationship with God. My encouragement to you is to desire God and accept his gracious invitation. Next week, we're going to look at the lifestyle of a person who follows Jesus Christ in discipleship, recognizing his immense value. Let me close, though, with these words from the psalmist. Psalm 37. The psalmist says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass. They're temporary. They will wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in God, and he will give you himself. Delight in God and accept his gracious invitation to you of himself. The pearl of great price, the feast of perfect fellowship, the value beyond all value. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the offer that we have to participate in your kingdom through faith. Give us hearts of faith, we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.